The title this morning, if you're taking notes, is How Bad Do You Really Want It? How Bad Do You Really Want It? We've been in this series of Paul's letters, their personal pastoral letters that he wrote to Timothy. He was a young pastor in this ancient city of Ephesus. And as we've been looking through these letters, the approach we've been talk, or taking throughout the series is to consider the work that it takes in order to have a healthy, thriving, fruitful church and experience the kind of Christian life that we all desire. And, and what we've been discovering is that you actually don't get the fruit by pursuing the fruit itself. You actually have to get down in the dirt and make sure the roots of that thing are healthy if you want to experience the fruit in its season. And we've come to that point in the letter where we actually kind of need to ask ourselves this important question, how bad do you really want that? How bad do you really want to see people transformed into the image of Christ, moving from what they were to what Christ wants them to be? How bad do you want to see yourself grow in holiness and Christ's likeness and fruitfulness in your life? How bad do you want to see God glorified in this community? How bad do you want to see your lost neighbors or friends or co-workers or family members saved? How bad do you want to see your marriage or, or the, the marriage of your parents or families in general and, and kids in this church thriving in their faith? How bad do you want to see the next generation be equipped for future impact? How bad do you want to see other churches succeed in the mission of the gospel? How bad do you want what God wants for you and for this church? Now, I know most of you desperately want these things because I know most of you, and I actually get to see you actively working and striving for these things. And I know that actually all of us really want these things, but at times our actions prove otherwise. And so my goal today is to do two things, to encourage all of us and those of you especially who are pursuing after these things in that work to continue in it, but also to challenge some of you to consider those things that maybe are distracting you, uh, those things you're putting value on more, and then thinking about all that is promised to us in the gospel. So considering those goals, I want to convince you of two things, or really one thing from our text today in 2 Timothy, and it's this, to live as a Christian takes a lot of work, but the reward is worth all the sacrifice. To live as a Christian takes a lot of work, but the reward is worth all the sacrifice. Let's look at how that point is developed in 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verses 1 through 13, Paul writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Before we get into these verses directly, let me just take a moment and remind you of where we were last week. Uh, in chapter one, we talked about how every Christian needs certain relationships in their lives if they're going to succeed in the Christian life. They need family, they need friends, they need mentors, people who will tell them the way, people who will show them the way, people who will help them on the way, and of course, every Christian needs Jesus, the one who made a way and still makes a way for us. We need these relationships personally, we need them in the church if we're going to be healthy and experience success in our Christian life. We also talked about the fact that Timothy because his mentor Paul was in prison, awaiting execution, and because many of Timothy's friends had already abandoned ministry altogether, and the faith even, and because his church was in a constant struggle, Timothy was on the verge of burnout. That's why Paul wrote this letter from the prison cell, and why he started out by reminding him of these relationships in hopes of helping him, as he says, to fan into flame the gift of God that was on the verge of burnout. We're moving into a new chapter, but to be honest, the subject really hasn't changed all that much, just the approach to the subject. And in the verses we just read, what Paul is doing is reminding Timothy of something else that he should have actually already known from his experience with Paul and in the gospel. And it's this, that to live as a Christian takes a lot of work. But the reward is worth all the sacrifices. I think, unfortunately, maybe it's because of bad preaching or insufficient discipleship, or maybe people just hearing what they want to hear. People receive the gospel because it's the free gift of God. And they lo that's amazing news, but they forget the other part of it, that there's still a cost to discipleship. It still takes work on our end to follow Jesus because now the work really starts. Now it's about denying self and putting away all of the weights and sins that, that Rob read to start our service off out of Romans 12 that so easily hinder us from following Jesus. Now the work is beginning. Not we're working to salvation, but we're working out of the salvation that we have been given freely through Christ. The work has just begun, and, and some people forget that. They think it's just going to be rainbows and unicorns from this moment on. Maybe they were told that by somebody who didn't share the real truth with them. And to help us understand this point more clearly, we're going to look at the text more closely 
and talk about the two sides of that point. That there is a work required of us as we follow Jesus, but the reward is guaranteed to us, and it's worth all the sacrifices. But look, let's start where Paul starts in verse 1. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Before Paul says anything about this work that he wants Timothy to get back into, is he tells him where his strength is going to come from, where his ability to do this work is going to come from. It's not going to come from himself, his natural ability or personal effort. Instead, it comes supernaturally as Timothy looks to Christ and finds the grace that he is willing to give to him. It would not have been helpful if Paul just went to Timothy and said, you know what, Timothy, you're just not trying hard enough. That never works. It's like those coaches that come to you and they're just grilling you, saying you need to try harder. It's like, I'm given everything I have. And in the Christian life, we are going to be taken to our limits and beyond the point where we can't do what Christ is calling us to do. And that's not the point. The point is, is he will never call us to something that he can't help us to do. And so he's saying, look to Jesus. Look to the grace. Look to the strength that he supplies. Whatever God's going to call you to do, he will give you the ability, the strength, the resources to do it. I mean, just the Great Commission, for example, in Matthew 28, when Jesus gave his disciples the work, go, make disciples, before he said that, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go, make disciples. Oh, and don't forget this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's not saying, go, you guys figure it out on your own. He's saying, go, oh, by the way, I'm going to be with you every single step of the way. Actually, as you're going, you're going with me on mission. So whatever he's called his disciples to do, he will give them the ability to do it. Jesus also promised the Holy Spirit, the helper who will come and live inside of every single believer. And the purpose of that is to lead us into truth and to purge us of indwelling sin and to give us supernatural power to live the Christian life in this fallen world and in these broken bodies. So before Paul says anything about the work, he reminds Timothy of where his strength is going to come from and where our strength comes from. It doesn't come from ourselves, but from Christ himself, which I think is really helpful because we don't have the resources or the strength on our own to live the Christian life or to cultivate a healthy church or even to save a lost soul. We don't have the ability to do this, we need God and his strength and resources to do it. So he starts here. From there in verse 2, he tells him what work he wants him to get back to and devote himself to. He says, I want you, Timothy, the things that you learned from me, I want you to entrust those things, the gospel, to other faithful men who will then in turn teach it and entrust it to others. Back in chapter 1, verse 12, Paul told Timothy that his ministry, Paul's ministry, started when Jesus came to him. Jesus himself commissioned him as an apostle with the gospel message. And Paul understood the charge. I've received this from Jesus, and I'm not supposed to hold on to it. What I need to do now is entrust this same gospel message to others. And so now he's coming to Timothy and saying, Timothy, that's what I did for you. 
I gave you the message of the gospel in order that you yourself might be saved, but so that you also might engage in this work of mission and evangelism. And so do that. You need to entrust the gospel to other faithful men so that they can continue the work of the gospel for future generations. The gospel is not a secret code that's to be kept hidden. The gospel is the words of eternal life, and they're to be shared with all people. The gospel is also not man's invention. This was not Paul's idea. The gospel is God's message passed down from generations to generations. Our job then is not to hide it, nor is it to just share the easy parts with people or to change it altogether. Our job is to proclaim it and share it with others in hopes that they will do the same. So our ministry, our job as as Christians, among many things, ultimately is a word ministry. It's to share the word of God with anyone and everyone who will listen in hopes that they will profess faith in the gospel and live out the gospel in their lives. Remember, that's what Timothy experienced, not just from Paul, but from his grandmother, and then his mother, and then was given to him. In the text, the emphasis is on Christian leaders being trained and entrusted with the truth of the gospel, which is a charge really on on me and and on the pastors and the elders of this church and those who are being raised up as, as leaders here. But to be honest, that's true of all Christians, that this gospel that we have been entrusted with is to be shared with future generations. But I think it starts with letting the Word of God do its work in our own hearts, because we can't pass on to someone else or the next generation something that has not taken effect in our own lives. But if we do possess it, we are obligated to share it. This is what Paul was commanding, charging Timothy to do in this section. But then in verse 3, he acknowledges the reality. Yes, God is going to strengthen you. He's going to give you everything you need. This is the work that you're supposed to do. But let me just acknowledge this, Timothy. The work is going to be really hard. All work is hard in one sense. But there's a unique challenge and struggle in the Christian life. It's a call to suffer for Christ. And, and the suffering in Paul's mind is not suffering via persecution. That, that's what he was experiencing. But Timothy's suffering and struggle was different. His was more a matter of checking himself, his expectations, the things that he feels like he deserves a little bit. He's supposed to think about self-denial and giving up certain things in order to pursue Christ and his ministry in his life. That's why he tells him in verse 3, I want you to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Of course, that's the problem, right? None of us wants to struggle in anything. We want everything to just come easy to us. Why can't I just make every free throw without ever even really trying or practicing, right? Why, why can't I just have that? Why can't I just get out there? I'm 39. Why can't I run like I used to? <laughs> what, what, shouldn't it just come easy? This is honestly, we think these things subconsciously. Why is it so hard? Why is it so I don't want to struggle at this stuff. I just want it all to come really easy. And so Paul is kind of coming to Timothy and being like, dude, have you forgotten the reality of how this works? It's, it's all a struggle. How bad do you really want it, though? 
is the question. Do you want your loved ones to be saved bad enough that you'll actually maybe wake up a little earlier in the day and, and spend some time in prayer for them? Do, do you want your church to be healthy bad enough that you'll actually like serve and volunteer and give of your personal life and your finances and all of these things? Do you actually want to be like Jesus bad enough that you're willing to give up, as I said earlier, all of, all of the distractions, all of the sins, maybe some relationships that are in your life that you know are kind of toxic and not leading you to look more and more like Jesus? That's the struggle. We want that, but sometimes we don't want to give up this. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to endure the lifelong process of self-denial, loss, or rejection. This is partly Timothy's problem. No one wants to suffer, but Timothy was especially prone to avoiding hardship. He was conflict-averse. He personally dealt with a lot of health issues that made ministry hard, and so now you're just adding even more difficulty to it. But Paul's saying, listen, Timothy, suffering is a part of faith in the gospel and certainly a part of gospel ministry. And he's saying, Timothy, you should know this stuff. And to help him remember it, he gives him three metaphors that he lists there in verses four and six. You can look at them again. Paul reminds Timothy of these three sort of vocations, the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. And, and he uses them all to sort of say this, everybody works really hard if they want to achieve what they ultimately want to achieve. All of them are making that point, but the three of them make an individual contribution to that point. The soldier, Paul intends to highlight, if you're going to be successful, you need to be like the soldier, which is someone who has a single-minded discipline to get what you want. I, I was personally never in the military, um, but I do know to be in the military, you need discipline. And it's rigorously taught and expected because without discipline, you will not be successful and you and others may get hurt. But with discipline comes a certain level of focus, of a single-minded devotion. You can't be thinking about irrelevant things when you're on the battlefield or running drills. And so Paul uses that to show for the believer that if you're going to fulfill what God has called you to do, you need a single-minded devotion. You can't allow your mind or your heart to be distracted by the things of this world because the moment you do, your faith is in danger. Similarly, the athlete, he says they must compete by the rules to get the crown. Now, nobody competes with the idea of I want to lose. Nobody competes unless they're betting on themselves to lose. In that case, it's illegal. But nobody competes to lose. Everybody competes to win. They want the reward in the end. And it's this reward that Paul is saying is actually true even in the Christian life. That when this life is over, God himself will reward us for our endurance in faith. And it's these rewards that should inspire and motivate the Christian to put in the hard work now, knowing there is a reward ahead. I believe this was actually one of Paul's greatest motivations in ministry. He will say at the end of this letter, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I kept the faith. An athlete, though he competes to win, he says needs to compete by the rules. 
And his point is in that is to say, there's no shortcuts in the Christian life. There's no like fast track to looking more and more like Jesus. There's no uh, quick way to speed up the process of sanctification. It takes work. It takes time. And it takes discipline and the ordinary means of grace and spiritual disciplines. This is the problem with athletes, right? Is they take all of these drugs because they're trying to get where they want to be faster or even further. But that's breaking the rules. He's saying that you can't get around the process. This is what it takes to win the race. Third, Paul mentions the farmer. Now, like being a soldier, I am also not a farmer. So I don't know anything about farming. But what I do know is that growing my grass is really difficult. (laughs) Keeping it green in the summer is also hard. My neighbors know. They see me out there watering it every day. But in this way, the farmer is unique because the farmer labors in the dirt in hopes of receiving a crop in the future. And in this way, the Christian, like the farmer, needs to do the work of ministry even when it's not very fruitful, even when it's really hard and laborious and hurts your knuckles, right? This is what you got to do. Why? Because you believe that in the process, there's going to be fruit in the future. This is why Paul will tell Timothy later on, preach the word in season and out of season. When there's fruit in your ministry and when there isn't fruit in your ministry, when you're not seeing growth in your life or someone else's life, and when you are seeing the fruit in someone's life or your own life, you still need to do what you're supposed to do. You still need to trust the process. This is the way it works. You plant seeds, you water those seeds, and in God's time, he will bring the harvest and the increase. So Paul uses these metaphors to help Timothy to get back to the work that he was called to do. It's going to be work. It's going to be difficult at times. And I think those metaphors are helpful for us. But then he just elevates it to a whole other level. He's got these these metaphors, but then in verse 8, in order to talk about now the rewards of all that hard work, he just goes straight to Jesus in verse 8. And I love this. He says, remember Jesus, most of all, not just the athlete or the soldier or the farmer. Remember Jesus. And he he actually focuses not on the whole life of Jesus, but just two things about Jesus, risen from the dead and the offspring of David. Now, why does Paul choose to focus on just these two? Well, I think the connection to David was to show that Jesus was a human and struggled just like you and me in the battle against sin. He never sinned, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't tempted. The Bible is very clear on that. Think we like to imagine Jesus and all of his struggles in the last week of his life, and certainly that was difficult. In the three years of his ministry in Galilee and in Jerusalem, that was for sure a struggle filled with opposition. But think about this. Every single day of his life, Jesus struggled in the battle against sin and fought it every day and won. And he did that for you and me. It was all a struggle. As a son of David, he fought this every day. And so Paul's using that to say, remember Jesus, the son of David. He struggled too. Just like you, he gets it. And he's right there with you. But more importantly, I think he highlights the resurrection to show that after all of that struggle... There is glory in the end. 
There is life after death. It was the way of Christ, suffering to glory, death to life, difficulty to great joy. It's the way of Christ. It was the way of Paul. It's the way of all those who choose to follow him. Again, to live as a Christian takes work, but the reward is worth all the sacrifice. This is why Paul says he was suffering. It's because he's in prison because the world has rejected the gospel, but he's also saying it's because of the reward that is ahead for me and for everyone else that I suffer these things. He's like, listen, I'm, I'm bound in chains, but I've also recognized that even as I'm bound and suffering, the gospel itself is not bound. While he's there in prison, he's ministering to all of the prisoners and the prison guards. He's saying, you can't stop the word from going. Paul in prison, think about this, was not an excuse for laziness. It was an excuse for stopping preaching the gospel. It was an opportunity for him to preach the gospel and to show the gospel. And this idea that the word of God cannot be bound was assurance that whatever he does, it will be fruitful in the end. I I love the way Paul makes that point further in verse 10. Look at it again. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I love this because maybe some of you have heard this before or thought about it this way, that the doctrine of election, this idea that this biblical teaching that God has chosen from eternity past, those who are his, apart from any work that they have done, presently or future or past or whatever it is. But even in that, Paul's saying, though God has done the work even before any of us were even born, it's still not a reason to be lazy. How this works out is this. People say, well, if God already knows everything I'm going to pray, then why should I pray? Or if God has already chosen who will be saved, then why should I evangelize? And they use that really as an excuse to just be lazy and not share the gospel with people. Because the answer to that question is in Romans 10. Though they have been elected, they still need to hear Paul says in Romans 10, how can they believe unless they've heard and how will they hear unless someone tells them the gospel? So Paul's saying your theology isn't even an excuse for laziness in evangelism or in discipleship. Despite what some have wrongly believed, election doesn't make evangelism or prayer or mission or discipleship unnecessary. It actually makes it possible. Paul believed that God had elected people from all over the world, and so he was confident that even as a bunch of people were rejecting what he was doing, there's going to be someone out there who's going to say yes. And he was laboring for those people. So he suffered. He endured for the people that God was saving in hopes that they too would experience eternal life. But he ends this section in a really clever way with this familiar hymn. And people debate on it. I don't really want to debate about it. I just want to look at the obvious nature of what he's doing. He's using a hymn, a familiar song that he probably sang in church every Sunday and saying, hey, you sing this every Sunday? Have you realized what that song is saying? It's saying that the Christian life is going to take work. (laughs) 
But in the end, there's going to be a reward. If we died with Him, we will live with Him. If we are faithless, though, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. And with each line of the hymn, Paul reminds Timothy, Timothy, it it is going to be hard. It is going to take work. But I promise you, in the end, it's going to be worth all the sacrifices that you make in this life. Friends, the sin in your life, it doesn't just go away. God doesn't just wave a magic wand and cure you of all of that sin. Instead, we also need to work to put those things to death by laying aside those things that are leading us down the road to temptation. The people you hope to see saved won't ever come to believe if you don't take the time to pray for them or even share the gospel with them. The church, this church, any church, will never be what we hope it to be if we all don't do our part in pursuing Jesus personally, investing in relationships together, praying for each other. And I say all of that to encourage us because the vast majority of you are doing all of these things. And our church is the way it is now because of you. And I'm so thankful for that. I can't tell you how many times someone new comes here and, and they experience, they, they look at the church and they'll tell me, man, Aaron, these people really love each other. And they really love Jesus. It's so evident. I mean, the one or two visits here, that's what stands out in people's minds. And I'm like, this is what I say to them. Yeah, that doesn't happen by chance. It takes work. And this church is working at those things. And I'm so thankful to be a part of that. And we need to continue down that path if we're going to experience what God wants us to experience. But there's things in our life for sure that need to be rooted out if we're going to have that fruit. And so I I encourage you to look again at verse 7. Because verse 7, he gives this little phrase, think about these things. Think about these things. And God will lead you in understanding. I, I pray that the Lord will search us those things that are in our lives that maybe we don't see right away. Meditate on those things in order that we might experience what God wants us to experience. Let's pray together to those ends. God, we come before you and, and God, we do pray as the psalmist prayed that you would search us and know us, that you would try us. And if there is any wickedness in us, any sin, any vice that is holding us back from experiencing all that you would have for us. God, help us to just identify those things and to be willing to say, I don't need that. I would rather pursue Christ and all that he has for me. Give us insight into that this week as we meditate on our own lives and, and on you. God, I pray that you would continue to bless our church and grow us spiritually, individually, and together. And we just commit ourselves to you in in Jesus' name. Amen.